You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Carr. You can follow me on Twitter at SCARGO. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Zags. Today is Friday, April 23rd, and it is another Gonzaga five-star Friday. For those that are new to the show, every Friday, the goal is to get as many five-star ratings as possible. So head over to the podcast page. I know Apple has been a little funky lately, but if you can, go to the Apple podcast page, leave us a five-star rating. And then Friday is also the day I read Gonzaga stories from fans around the world. You can send me stories in three different ways. You can leave a review for the podcast with your story inside of it. You can direct message me on Twitter with your story at SCARGO. It's at S-K-A-R-R-G-0. Or you can email your story, LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Last week, we had an awesome story from Angela who sent me uh, an email. She was from the class of 1993. Today's story comes from Tom who did not go to Gonzaga, has never been to Gonzaga, yet the program has still found a major impact on his life. So here is Tom's Gonzaga story. I've lived my whole life in Wisconsin. In 1999, I was a freshman at a local college, living at home, and skipping classes throughout March Madness to watch games with my brothers. I don't think anyone could watch the 1999 tournament and not root for Gonzaga, so we did. And then we did it again the next year, and followed a bit the year after. None of us knew where Gonzaga was, and if we had, we wouldn't have known where Spokane was anyway. Gonzaga was just a lovable bunch of scrappy underdogs. Every march had a new story that would capture our imagination and then fade away, but Gonzaga just stayed in the story. And then, as life does, it moved on. My older brother moved away to the West Coast. He had always been my best friend growing up, and this was our first time apart. We traded emails, made long-distance phone calls with our prepaid cards, and we still talked about this little school from Spokane. Our conversations moved from Matt Santangelo to Dan Dickow to Blake Stepp to Derek Rivio. And then Adam Morrison showed up and changed Gonzaga forever. This small, lovable group of players had the best player in the nation, and he was must-see TV. Suddenly, you can find Gonzaga on nationally televised games. Finding Gonzaga games on television in Wisconsin started becoming easier. I can only imagine how many computer viruses I picked up over the years searching for shady internet streams of Gonzaga games. Gonzaga grew as a program, and our fandom grew with it. What started with mild intrigue turned into a passion over the years. There was always something about the way Gonzaga carried themselves and operated as a team. Mark Few never left. Mike Roth was with him the whole time. So was Tommy Lloyd. They always believed in the program and the process and stuck it out for 20 plus years. So we stuck it out with them the entire time. We always worried, of course, some year, some time, they would fade into the background. We worried a lot in the 2011 season when Stephen Gray was a senior and their best player. They were running out of talent. And then Kevin Pangos, Gary Bell, and Ryan Spangler came in and the program took off again. Gonzaga moved from lovable underdogs to maybe, just maybe, talented enough that they could eke out a championship if everything fell correctly. And then in 2015, Duke demolished Gonzaga in the Elite Eight and it seemed like it would never happen. Everyone remembers Jordan Matthews' shot to beat West Virginia, but I remember Gonzaga smashing Xavier to get to the Final Four. After that game, knowing Gonzaga was going to the Final Four, 
I sat on my couch with tears of joy running down my face. I booked my flight to Arizona that day. It was unbelievable to watch the little engine that could spend 18 years trying to climb the mountain finally reach the summit. That was the first year I got to see Gonzaga play in person. Today, I don't get as high or low with Gonzaga. They may not have won the championship yet, but they reached the summit. Now it just feels like a matter of when they will win it all. If you were there in the early 2000s, you understand how insane that sounds. I still get together with my brothers every March. We call it Brother Christmas, and we sit around and watch basketball for four days. No wives, no kids, just us. We cheer for Gonzaga and reminisce over players' past. I get asked about my Gonzaga fandom a lot living in Wisconsin. How can someone from Wisconsin, who's never been to Gonzaga and went 18 years without seeing them in person, be such a fan? Well, I always respond that it's just the right program for me. Most people pick their fandom based on geographic location or their alma mater. I choose mine based on a program that holds the same values I do. Gonzaga followed the advice of the late, great Jimmy V. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Zag up, Tom. Now that right there was some goosebump worthy stuff. Thank you so much to Tom for sharing that story with us. Next week, I am going to get to Hunter and possibly Josh, depending on how much time we have. Um, but these these stories that I'm getting are absolutely incredible. And they don't have to be long. They can be goofy if you want them to be goofy. They can be serious. I mean, whatever you want to say. So again, if you want to leave me a, a, a story, you can leave them in the reviews for the podcast. You can DM me them on Twitter, or you can email the show. Again, thank you for Tom for sending his in. Coming up on the rest of the podcast, we will get to some news and notes from Thursday, including a recap of Game 1 between Gonzaga and BYU as they kicked off their three-game series last night. And then we're going to finish the show talking about Umar Balo and Eliza Hollingsworth as we are nearing the end of our player reviews for the season. Before we get to that, if you want a place to bet on, let's say, the 49ers, number three overall draft pick in the NFL draft, who do you think they're going to take? Mac Jones? Trey Lance? Justin Fields. If you have a good idea, betonline.ag is the place to go. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. MLB, NBA, NHL, they're all in full swing right now. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Football fans, this year the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft April 29th through May 1st. All right, let's get to some uh, some quick news and notes from around Gonzaga on Thursday. Starting, of course, with their baseball series against BYU. They played game one of their three-game series on Thursday night. They sent Alec Jacob to the hill, and the game was tied 1-1 to going into the bottom of the fifth inning, and that is when Gonzaga absolutely busted this game open. Got a huge three-run homer from Mason Maranco in the fifth inning, and then they put up five runs in the bottom of the sixth, highlighted by a three-run double from Jack Maktoff that made the game 10-1, to and 10 runs was plenty enough for Alec Jacob. Fresh off of his no-hitter at Pepperdine last week, Alec Jacob went out on the mound through eight innings, gave up two hits, one run, and struck out 12 for the second straight game. Matched his career high. 
And in three of his last four starts, he's had at least 11 strikeouts. He had 11 against Pacific. He had 12 against Pepperdine last week. And now 12 again against BYU on Thursday. Guthrie Morrison, three for five with three runs. Mason Maranco had three hits, including that three-run homer. Brett Harris went three for four with a couple of runs. His on-base percentage now is over 500 for the season, which is absolutely ridiculous. Gonzaga moves to 12 and four in the WCC. They're a game and a half ahead of Portland. Portland begins a three-game series tonight at San Francisco, who's one game behind Portland. So coming into this weekend, Gonzaga was one game ahead of Portland and two games ahead of San Francisco, and the Pilots and Dons have a three-game series starting tonight. So it's a very, very big series atop the WCC standings. Gonzaga will play BYU again tonight in Game 2 of the series starting at 6 o'clock, and of course you can watch that game on the WCC Network. A piece of news was confirmed yesterday. It actually broke on Tuesday when Dana O'Neill wrote an article in The Athletic and Mark Few told her that Andrew Nemhard was coming back for his senior season. For some reason, that news had to be broken and confirmed again yesterday by other sources. But Andrew Nemhard indeed coming back for his senior year to be the point guard of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. One piece of transfer news from the women's side, Luis Forsyth entered the transfer portal As a grad transfer senior, she got limited playing time in her four years in Spokane after being a highly ranked recruit coming in uh, four years ago. We'll get to her player review next week, but she entered the transfer portal and she committed to Idaho yesterday. So Louise Forsyth, grad transfer, transferring to Idaho. ESPN released their very early 2022 NBA mock draft. And Paulo Bancaro is actually the number one pick ahead of Chet Holmgren, who's the number two pick. Interesting other facts about it. Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy both going to get selected in the early 30s. Uh, I believe Timmy was 31 and Nemhard was 35. Those could be flip-flopped. But there was no Hunter Salas, which I think was interesting. No Hunter Salas in the draft. And it seems like most people, both within the program and outside the program, Seem to think Hunter Salas is actually a two-year player and not a one-and-done player, uh, which I think is good news for the future of Gonzaga um, to have a really good, experienced guard for that 22-23 season to go along with Dominic Harris. But if Hunter Salas does become a one-and-done, that means he likely had a monster freshman season and Gonzaga likely made a very deep run in the NCAA tournament. Last thing I want to mention here is an article that was actually written in the Gonzaga Bulletin by my friend Vincent Saglin-Benny, and it's about a 97-year-old man named Harold who does something super, super cool. He's been making scrapbooks for Gonzaga basketball for uh, the last 21 years. He started it in 2000, and he has made 228 books for different members of the team, um, whether it's coaches, players, managers, whatever. And so uh, what he does, and he, he, I mean, you can read the article. It is in the podcast description. It's really, really, really cool. Um, and he makes these, these scrapbooks full of any article or photo or any kind of media um, that he can find throughout the season. He puts it all together, and then he gives it to Mark Few. He makes a couple for p- certain players. And at the end of the season, Mark Few brings him in to practice where he gives away those scrapbooks to the coaches and players. What's really interesting to me about Harold is that uh, he's he's just he's gone through a lot. He survived cancer. He lost his wife. He battled COVID-19 for over a month and got through it. 
Um, and just recently, uh, he underwent a procedure to remove a lump on his face. And so uh, he wants to live until he's 100 years old, just so he can tell people that he's 100 years old. Uh, but this guy just seems like he's an absolutely incredible person and he's doing something really, really cool. So I suggest that you read uh, Vinny's article here. And like I said, it's in the podcast description and I suggest you check it out. Okay, coming up, we are going to finish the show with some player reviews like we have been doing. Today, it's Umar Balo, who, of course, has transferred over to Arizona, and then Eliza Hollingsworth. And then we are going to look ahead at what is coming up next week on the podcast as Monday's episode is going to be a little bit different. But, of course, we have to tell you about Built Bar. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate in all bars. It's even perfect for keto diets. There are over 20 amazing flavors, including peanut butter, caramel brownie, banana bread, cookies and cream, and many more. All of them soft, easy to chew, and absolutely delicious. Not only do they taste great, but they're healthy, too. They're great for the health-conscious guy and also for anyone looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The Cookies and Cream Bar, for example, has 17 grams of protein and just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Football fans, the ultimate mock draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey is happening right now. Featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, Jason LaConfora, and Brian Baldinger, our local experts for every team are making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Search the ultimate mock draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. We finished the show today with player reviews of Umar Balo and Eliza Hollingsworth. Let's start with Balo. He came in as a 17-year-old beast from Mali and was widely considered the top international prospect at the time, and he earned the name Baby Shaq. In the 2019 FIBA U19 World Cup, he led Mali on a historic run all the way to the title game, uh, where they ended up actually losing to Jalen Suggs, his future teammate, and the United States. But in that tournament, Balo averaged 17 points, 12 rebounds, and 4 blocks. But because he bounced around multiple countries leading into his college uh, career, he was not cleared academically. And so he had to redshirt his his, uh, first season on campus. And after a year of kind of developing and being in the system, it was kind of expected that this season Balo could earn, you know, upwards of 10 to 12 minutes a game as the backup center to Drew Timmy after Philip Petrushev uh, left to go play basketball overseas. And for a while at the start of the year, I mean, that's kind of the role that he was filling. Uh, He had 10 minutes against West Virginia. He had nine minutes against Iowa. And he was four for four combined in those two games. And for the most part, he looked pretty good. He rebounded well. Um, And then, you know, they played some of their non-conference home games where he could play a little bit more. And he had 17 points in 12 minutes when they played against Dixie State. And to be honest, I I, honestly, I liked Omar Ballo. I think he did a lot of really, really good stuff. 
Um, he posted about as hard as anyone on the team, and he really, really, really worked to get the ball, even if his teammates didn't get it to him. And early on in the season, his free throws to start the year were way better than I expected them to be. Uh, but eventually, uh, he hurt his thumb, and he kind of fell out of favor in regards to the rotation. And obviously, there were clear areas of improvement, right? I'm not saying Oberbalo was a perfect player by by any means. There were the clear deficiencies in his game. First and foremost, for me, he does not have very good hands, right? I mean, he fumbled a lot of passes, generally wasn't the smoothest when it came to lobs either. Um, and the other thing to go along with those, that, that kind of lob piece there is that he does not have great verticality. Um, he's a huge dude and he's a strong dude. He's not a leaper by any means. You know, he's, like I said, he's kind of a, a mammoth man. And to be quite honest, he runs the court pretty well. He can't run it very long, um, right? He needs to work on his conditioning a little bit too. Um, and he's also not at that high level of defending ball screens. But he's also only 18 years old. He turns 19 over the summer. And there's something there. I really think there is something there. Whether or not Tommy Lloyd can bring it all together kind of remains to be seen. I think a huge part of it has to do with his hands. If he gets softer hands, I think he can have a really, really good career over there. But for Gonzaga purposes, I'm not sure he would have played a whole lot next season. But the following year, in the 22-23 season... I'm not going to say he would have been a starter, but it's possible he could have been a starter in all likelihood, right? Drew Timmy's gone. Chet Holmgren's gone. And so that 22-23 season, the only confirmed big men on the roster right now are Anton Watson, Ben Gregg, and Caden Perry. And for the most part, those guys are all fours more so than they are fives. They could probably get away with putting Caden Perry at the five, right? I mean, Brandon Clark played a lot of five when he was at Gonzaga. Um, and they could play some small ball lineups as well, as well, but like, it would be really nice to have a true post presence in there. And Balo could have been that guy to get those minutes. So instead he's going to Tucson. He's going to play for Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. If you remember Arizona and Baylor were his other two options coming out of, um, not necessarily high school, but coming into America, those are the three schools he was choosing from was Gonzaga, Baylor, and Arizona. So now he's going to Arizona, and there's several other decent big men on that roster in Tucson. But there's absolutely a better path for more playing time for him there than there is at Gonzaga, so I can't really fault him at all for leaving. I kind of wish he would have stuck it out and and seen what he could have done in two seasons, um, but I can't fault him for leaving, and I wish the big fella the best of luck uh, in his next journey. Now let's move to Eliza Hollingsworth. She is a 6'1 forward from Melbourne, Australia, and in the 2018 Australian Championships, she averaged 11 points and 10 rebounds during a gold medal run. She redshirted all of last year as she recovered from a bone bruise that just took forever to heal and, and simply never really healed. Um, and the story is that she accidentally stepped in a pothole near campus. So it was really just a fluke injury and something she calls super, super dumb. But she never got to play her first season on campus. And then over the summer, she went back home to Australia, but because of COVID, she had issues with her visa, and so she wasn't able to get back to Gonzaga's campus until much later than expected, which set her back in terms of you know getting reacclimated with her teammates and practice time and all that stuff. Eventually, 
She finally took the court for her first game in a Gonzaga Bulldogs uniform during WCC play in January. Uh, She only played really end-of-the-bench minutes in blowouts, but they let her play a little bit more in January, a little bit more by the end of February. Um, She had eight points in six minutes against Pepperdine, and I think those minutes that she started to get were one of the reasons she felt confident enough to step up and make a huge play in the WCC championship against BYU, right? We know the story in that title game. Several players were affected by food poisoning. Hollinsworth was one of the players that were called upon down the stretch of that game. And Gonzaga was down five with about two minutes left. And she happened to be in the game. She found herself at the top of the key with the ball in her hands. And she absolutely drained a three from the top of the key. And before Jill Townsend shot, I mean, that three is arguably the biggest shot of the season. So on the year, she finished 10 of 15 from the field and she finished three of six from deep. Like I said, she has really good size at six foot one. She's got a lot of length. And based on what I saw this year, she looks like she's a stretch big, which is something Gonzaga really hasn't had a ton of. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but they've had a lot of really talented forwards but not many of them could extend their range beyond the three-point line. And so I think Hollingsworth can do that, and I think she may be able to do it pretty consistently, which gives Gonzaga a really, really interesting dynamic uh, going into the next couple seasons here. Because a high-low game with Hollingsworth Hollingsworth up top and Yvonne Ejim or Melody Kempton down low working inside, I think that could be really, really fun to watch. I doubt Hollinsworth ends up starting next year. I think those two spots will end up going to Ejim and Kempton. But I I believe she's going to have a significant role now that she's fully healthy. And this is going to end up being her third year in the program. And with another full season to grow, um, both for Hollinsworth and Yvonne Ejim, uh, who will both be sophomores next year or technically freshmen again if they wanted to be. Uh, But those that's kind of be the, the dynamic duo of the future. And I think those two are just going to light up the WCC, um, maybe not necessarily next year, but for sure when they're juniors and seniors, Yvonne Ejim, Eliza Hollingsworth, though that is the next dynamic duo of forwards in the Gonzaga program. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. I am traveling this weekend, and so I'm not going to be able to record a normal show for Monday with all the news and notes and catch up on some more topical stuff. So here's the plan. Monday is going to be a special episode, and I'm going to reveal the top 10 moments of the 2020-2021 Gonzaga basketball season voted on by you guys, the fans. It's going to be a fun recap, and it's going to be a cool look back at kind of what made this season so special for uh, both the men and the women. I'll be back on Tuesday morning where we're going to catch you up on everything that's been happening over the weekend and everything that happened on Monday including Gonzaga's baseball series against BYU. We'll update the WCC baseball standings and then catch you up on any other news that may come out of the world of Gonzaga basketball with the transfer portal and everything else going on. Plus, we're going to finish our player reviews next week. On Tuesday, we're going to talk about two international players who looked like they were going to have high hopes when they arrived in Spokane, but now both of them are completely moving on in this offseason to other places. Pavel Zakharov on the men's side, Lily Scanlon on the women's side. Those two player reviews coming up on Tuesday after our top 10 moments of the season on Monday morning's episode. Don't forget, you can rate and subscribe to the podcast. 
Please leave a review with your Gonzaga story like I did today. I will read them every Friday on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at scargo. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnZags. If you want to email the show with your story or any questions that you want me to answer, feel free to do so. LockedOnZags at gmail.com. Everybody enjoy your weekend. We will see you back here Monday morning. It is a great day to be a Zag.